Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So people ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so very much for letting us be a part of your evening wherever you find yourself. Tootling across uh, South Texas in your... 18-wheeler or across the streets of San Antonio or Bernie or any of the little towns around our great city of San Antonio, wherever you are tonight, we are so grateful that you let us be a part of your evening. Uh, this is Soapy Dollar, and my daughter Stacy is right here beside me, and John sitting across the table going to be taking your phone calls. He's uh, going to answer and uh, be real nice to them, John, right, you know, all, as always. <laughs> <laughs> he's nodding his head. He's he's in a good mood this evening. So <laughs> never fear. You can give us a call without any hesitation. 210-340-9585. For the next 90 minutes, that's going to be the phone number. 210-340-9585. This is The Bible Live. It's the first time you've caught us. This is a unique program in that we take you through the entire Bible every year, not just talking about it. That's a little bit more what we do here on Sunday night, but we, uh, you go to our podcast or to our website, the Bible live.com. And that's the word, the T H E. It's not the letter D. Uh, I had that misunderstanding with someone this past week, uh, the Bible live, like Saturday night live, you know, the Bible live, uh, dot com and you can go there and you will find the entire Bible. We have our reading schedule is there every week, Monday through Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every weeknight, you can go and um listen to a fifteen to twenty minute reading from the scriptures and you will read together we will read through the entire Bible every year. So when you're in that commute on the way to work and you're caught in traffic, uh, you can just sit there and be cool and calm as a cucumber and enjoy uh, enjoy even the delay So because it gets you the opportunity to hear uh, just a few minutes more of the book of books. So you can join with us, uh, thousands of us, as we make our way through the Bible every year together. And then here on Sunday night, we get to uh, talk about, consider, uh, and discuss the readings from the past week. And this past week, we finished the book of Second Samuel. On Monday evening, we finished the book of Second Samuel, First uh, and Second Samuel, uh, chapters twenty-two through twenty-four. And then we leave the people of Israel there, uh, waiting for uh, their new king after David. Uh, is finished his 40-year reign over Israel. We'll see as we open up the books of First and Second Kings, we'll get into the time of Solomon 
and then his son, and then, then the kingdom divided. We've already talked about Saul, the first king of his, of Israel, then David, young King David, who was anointed to be king as a teenager, but had to wait 25 years for that anointing, that promise from God that he would be the, the next king of, of Israel. Uh, he waited 25 years for that promise to become reality. And so we uh, listened to the life of David and the, t- the years of his reign. He brought about the what is called the golden age of Israel. And now uh, when we get returned, we'll pick up with his son Solomon, 40 years uh, reigning as well. Uh, after his father David dies, and so then we'll get into the time of the the kingdom or the or the Israel, the kingdom divided between the two tribes in the in the south, Benjamin and uh, uh, and Judah, and then the ten tribes that break away from David's reign or Solomon's reign um, after. At the end of his life, and so they become the ten northern tribes. Then be, start being called Israel, and the in the southern tribes are called Judah. And we begin to follow the kings of those different um, of those different kingdoms. So we'll get back to that. But right now, we take a welcome break from the Hebrew scriptures and come back to the New Testament now. And we pick up. We've read Matthew. Mark and Luke, which are called the Synoptic Gospels. And Stacy, why are they called the Synoptic Gospels? Right. Well, you think of a synonym being same, so synoptic, synonym, uh, so they're and optic similar. being a point of view. Yes, mm-hmm. a similar point of view. And so Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke uh, talk about the genealogy. They, they all uh, kind of cover the same, the same perspective, the same point of view, and take um, sort of a, a chronological view of the life of Christ. And it's more of a, what we'd call maybe a classical or, or traditional historical right. view in mm-hmm. the sense that it it focuses on Beautiful. events, mm-hmm. on um, sermons, mm-hmm. uh, pronouncements, sort teaching of, right. specific. What happened. Uh, what happened, mm-hmm. yeah. And each of them are very unique. Matthew's uh, perspective. I always think of it as... Uh, if you think of of the New Testament as these books of historical, yes, they are historical, but they're not pure history. Each of the authors, each of the writers has a point of view and is uh, unashamedly and very clearly uh, promoting a, a purpose, a meaning for his writing in, in a perspective. Uh, Matthew it tends, it's very clear that he is writing to, people of, of Israel into Jewish audience. And he's highlighting the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the long awaited promised Messiah uh, of the Hebrew scriptures for hundreds, uh, hundreds of years. Now the people of Israel have been waiting for this Messiah, this redeemer, this anointed one, this savior who would come. And now in this particular era, they are thinking that he, uh, they are looking to the idea of a Messiah comes as one who would deliver them from Roman domination. The people of Israel, the land of Israel, is being occupied by uh, Roman troops, Ro- uh, Roman power. And so they are they are thinking in those terms at this particular time. Uh, and, and Matthew 
points out the idea that Jesus is that long-awaited Messiah Redeemer, although he does emphasize clearly that uh, it's not about politics, it's not about military deliverance, it's a spiritual kingdom, and that Jesus has come to uh, deliver all of humanity, not just ethnocentrically the people of Israel, but all of humanity from the power and penalty of sin by living a perfect life of faith, trust, obedience, submission to the Father uh, as a man. So Matthew's perspective is that, uh, from the Jewish perspective. Mark focuses on Jesus as his servant role, as he comes to serve. He moves from person to person, family to family, uh, and he helps people and and pours out his life in service to people. Uh, and and uh, so that is the emphasis of Mark. Uh, Luke is a physician. He's the only non-Hebrew, non-Jewish author in the New Testament. He writes the book of um, Luke and the historical uh, book of the Acts of the Apostles, it's called. I think of it more as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But uh, he wrote Luke and Acts. And actually, Luke is a, uh, a historian par excellence. He is really very good. He mentions dates, times, places, specifics, and lays out uh, in a more classic sense a historical view. But his emphasis, he's a physician as well, a medical doctor, and his emphasis is Jesus as Son of Man. Now, we come to the Gospel of John. Stacy, what is the perspective of this non... The, those three Gospels are called synoptic in the sense that they share a, a kind of a general view, a more classical, tra- traditional view of historicity, a st- historical presentation. Now, John comes along. What makes his Gospel different? Right. So it's... I think maybe if if the if Matthew, Mark, and Luke are talking more about what Jesus did and are emphasizing perhaps a certain role within that, John uh, digs a little bit deeper into who Jesus is, and so and I, I think he he's the only of the four that doesn't start with the birth of Jesus, the the events of. Um, in Bethlehem, and they, and so he instead he uh, uh, maybe this is instead he he <laughs> he starts at the real the beginning, real beginning. <laughs> exactly not the beginning of Jesus's life here, but the beginning in the beginning, and he makes that connection between he is God, he is he is uh, in the beginning, he was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he references back and. Uh, it's just so beautiful. I think he's probably mm, one of the most poetic of the four, um, and he, uh, yeah, and his, I think it, probably the most theological author yes. than of the of the four. Without a doubt, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Yeah. Was there was not anything made. Apart from him, and it, and it talks about, and then he goes on to identify in case, just in case you thought, well, well, who is this guy? The Word, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, oh. and we beheld His glory, oh. the glory as of the only John. begotten of the Father. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's uh, it He's is great. very poetic, yeah. very beautiful, and yeah. very theological. I find it a little bit ironic, though, Stacy, that. Uh, although we, I do accept the idea that it is more theological, that he does emphasize very, very clearly uh, the deity of Jesus, the Messiah, that he was indeed God. 
On the other hand, he makes it very clear, very clear that Jesus didn't come to planet Earth. Uh, the, the, the purpose for his existence uh, coming into the human race was not to prove that he was God. Right. Uh, he either was God or he wasn't God. And if he was God, there's nothing anybody can do about it. Nothing could ever change it. And that's all there is to it. So, and so, although it's very clear that he claimed uh, very openly and very clearly at multiple times, and we I've repeated this many times, that Jesus did indeed claim to be God. We have uh, many people who would say, oh, no, he didn't, and his disciples made it up later. They were the ones. Jesus very clearly mm-hmm. claimed uh, divinity. If you there, there's a wonderful book called Basic Christianity by a British pastor uh, in the 20th century, just this last last oh, last half of the after 19. I think he wrote his book in 1960 70, John which Stott? called uh, John Stott, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book called Basic Christianity. Is that why C.S. Lewis is his mere Christianity? Yes, it's okay. something <laughs> like mere Christianity, but uh, it's very good because he establishes the fact. Without, I mean, you can read it and you can go to the passages yourself. You see that Jesus did indeed claim to be God. And uh, John Stott uh, lists three different ways. One, uh, he he claims to be God um, in open declaration. Uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not remembering the words that he uses in his book. Uh, but they're very clearly direct, saying, I direct, am God. Direct claims. Right? Direct claims. Direct Thank claim. you, honey. Uh-huh. Direct claims uh, to de- de- deity. And we read some of those here in the opening chapters. John, and I believe John chapter 4, uh, isn't that when we read about the Samaritan woman at the well? Mm-hmm. Uh, he very clearly identifies himself to her as the Messiah, uh, the Son of God. And uh, later on in John chapter 8, he clearly makes the case that the Messiah, is deity uh, and it brings in one of the other uh, characteristics of the gospel of John are these pronounced these great I am's I am the light of the world I am the bread of life uh, I am the good shepherd I am the resurrection and the life I am the way the truth and the life I am the true grapevine the true vine uh, these are great pronouncements and of course in John chapter 8 he says you know talk about a theological um, a, a direct theological claim. He says, before Abraham even existed, I am. And he used the phrase that that uh, God used to ad- identify himself to Moses at the uh, burning bush in the Hebrew Scriptures. And, of course, his listeners knew exactly what he was saying. It was mm-hmm. a clear uh, declaration uh, uh, of divinity. And they picked up stones to, to stone him to death, which is uh, because he claimed to be God. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have the direct claims, you have the indirect claims where he, Jesus, uh, he claims to have, he exercises a prerogative, an initiative, an authority that only God has. And so that, uh, for example, he declares himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, he declares himself uh, the the Lord of life and death. And of course, that comes a little bit later too when he talks about uh, when he talks about the dramatized claims because he raised people from the dead. But uh, the indirect claims means that he he claims an initiative or a prerogative, a right that only God has. And the classic one is when remember he heals the uh, paralytic. 
to the he's lowered to the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, and his friends bring this paralyzed man, and but before Jesus heals mm-hmm. his paralysis and and makes him able to walk again, he he Forgive. he heals something else. Yeah. What does he say? Uh, he heals. Well, he forgives his sins. What does he, he say? Says, your he sins says, are forgiven. And, mm-hmm. and oh, wow, that sends the religious leaders, you oh know, they're, they're, they're right up, <laughs> well, right up the wall. They, whoa, right. you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. Mm-hmm. And so he says, well, that's true. So that you but so know. you'll know that I, the son of man, have the right, the authority, which is easier. Is it easier to say to this man, rise up and walk or, or say your sins are forgiven? And so that you'll know. Yeah. And of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody knows if the sins are forgiven or not. You know, that doesn't. uh, But he says, but so you'll know that I do have that right to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk in the man. Yeah, it's it's a powerful moment. But it's one of those indirect claims. And then uh, well, another would be the. Well, that would be dramatized, I guess, in a way as well. The the calming of the sea, mm-hmm. the wind and the waves that obey him. Those are called the dramatized claims where he exercises a a power, a right that only God uh, has as well. So we, it, it is clear Jesus did indeed claim to be God, but he, he didn't come to planet Earth to prove that he was God. His purpose for coming was very different. And it had not not to do with his being God. It had more to do with him being a man, living a perfect life of faith and trust and uh, submission to God the Father, as just like you and I have to do. Mm-hmm. Which I think I, I I want us to talk about that a little bit tonight because I want to I wouldn't mind asking you our listeners tonight the great question of how how did Jesus know how did Jesus know that he was indeed God the Son of God now in the first place we're talking. We may have to discuss a little bit the whole idea of the nature, the, the nature of the Godhead, uh, the idea of the the triune nature of God, uh, uh, one God. Yes, we're not polytheists, uh, only truly one God. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But but there are three distinct persons presented throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testaments. Throughout the scriptures, three different persons, and each of them is is spoken of in personal terms, not impersonal. The Holy Spirit is never called an it or some kind of an impersonal power or influence. The Holy Spirit is continually and constantly, consistently uh, spoken of as a person. He, personal pronouns so used, not and he exercises intellect, emotion, will. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit guides and, and, and decides and leads, uh, makes decisions about uh, uh, things that, that, that will happen uh, under his guidance. And so uh, both the, all three persons of the Godhead are, are distinct persons. God the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. They are distinct persons, and yet they experience a oneness of relationship that is so profound and so um, complete that we can 
rightly we have we're told to we have the right to and we can rightly know them as one god uh they are three distinct persons but they're one in their love for each other they're one in their character they're one in their intent and their purpose and they are one in their action uh, and we can know god as one true living god uh that that we have that reality we have to come to grips with but then we talk about jesus the christ uh, the Son of God became flesh and dwelled among us. And we want to find out what was the nature of that incarnation. How is it that God became a man? Uh, how do you understand that? If you have a, a perspective of that and, and what in more and, and maybe a more specific sense, what happened? How did that happen? And and uh, I would love for you to give us a call. This is a profound topic, uh, no doubt about it. But if you would like to talk about that, about how did God become a man? What does that mean? And why? What was the purpose of him taking on flesh? And I guess the question I've kind of gotten used to asking people, Stace, through the years it, 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 to to kind of raise this topic is how did, as you read the gospels about Jesus goes from town to town, you know, he's, he's a 12 year old boy. He already has a keen sense of his identity as, as God is his father and so on. And then we run in, in 19 years later, we come up to him again as a 30 year old man. And, and uh, we see that first miracle that we read about here in the gospel of John, uh, the wedding at Canaan, Cana, and we begin to follow the life and experiences of this uh, young Jewish man. Uh, he clearly, obviously, believes himself to be, uh, to the degree that he would, you know, that he would know with a with a, a belief of of confident belief and understanding of who he is, that he is indeed uh, the Son of the Living God. But how does he know that? How does he come to that realization? If you have a thought about that tonight, I'd love to hear from you. How did Jesus learn? How did Jesus come to the conviction, to the understanding, to the deep belief that he was indeed the Messiah, the the Son of God? If you can give me uh, your thought about that, I'd love to hear from you. 210-340-9585. 340-9585. Well, uh, that's our introduction. Second uh, Samuel, do we want to talk anything about those final chapters, 22 through 24, Stacey? Uh, it, it's just kind of cleaning up. It yeah. lists uh, David's mighty men, mm-hmm. these 30 great warriors that, that uh, as we said many times, David was a tremendous, he was a man's man. I mean, very talented, good-looking guy, confident, a poet, a musician, but a great warrior himself as well. And he led men. Men seemed to line up behind him. Uh, and he, the chapter 23 of Second Samuel contains a list of David's 30 mighty warriors. Actually, there are 37 of them, but who's counting? Who's counting, right? Uh, and the last one on the list is Uriah the Hittite, interestingly, uh, one of his generals that, in fact, one of the great failures of his life was his sin against Uriah by uh, adulterous relationship with his wife Bathsheba, who becomes the mother of Solomon, yeah. uh, the the one who becomes king after David. But... Um, 
I think uh, well, what is so? Uh, I mean, it's just this is kind of getting back to that nation building mm-hmm. and um, God kind of teaching uh, people how to be a people. I mean, how to be? I mean, I guess talk about talking about being you know oneness and unity and the Trinity and the miracle that at, that is. If ever there was an opposite, <laughs> it, it's in a, it's in our attempts to nation build. <laughs> um, I mean, we all desire, you know, in terms of a nation and kind of, um, we we see that we we desire it even in our own country. That's you know, we very desire, interesting, Stacey. Right, That's desire, very interesting. Yeah, you and and it comes out sometimes in a not healthy, in a not healthy way. I mean, nationalism can kind of take an ugly turn. Um, but at the same time, I think that instinct for oneness and unity and uh, commonality and uh, kingdom you know, is, is a God-given thing. It comes from our creator. We were meant to, uh, to live together in peace and harmony. And with God and with, with each God other with as God's and, people. And yeah. Absolutely, with each other. And so you see him, I think, trying to help David and Israel do that, live together in that harmony. Anyway, um, I think one of the interesting things about the census, so you see all along the ways in which he failed in doing that. And I thought one of the most fascinating things is he got in trouble for taking a census and how that might apply Political, you know, po- yeah. polity, polity and, and such. But- well, you bring up a great topic there. This whole theme of oneness and unity is important. Yeah. Well, we'll come back after the break and talk about that and then, then get into the Gospel of John as well. Yeah. And we're going to mention to you the National Day of Prayer on Thursday, May the 6th. We'll be telling you more about that as we come back as well. Don't go away. is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, shine, Jesus, shine. That's what we're going to see in the Gospel of John, without a doubt. Uh, not only do we have the, the Jesus as the light of the world, <laughs> one of the, of the great I am's that come out, his pronouncements about him, his own life. Uh, Jesus clearly knew who he was at this time. He, uh, I, I, want, I want you to take a minute and introduce people to this um, series on VidAngel. Oh, or, I'm sure. Yeah. Do you mind doing that? Oh, people, I'd like I'm people sure to have, know about it. If you haven't seen it yet, the Chosen. I'm sure you've the Chosen heard of it or yeah. seen it. Uh, I know a lot of different churches have been um, giving subscriptions to people to be able to watch it, and then I'm giving out the DVDs and stuff. But it's a great series. It's by um, Dallas Jenkins, who's the creator and the director, who's the son of Jerry P. Jenkins, which is just really neat. And Dallas has a really really neat testimony himself. And so if you have a moment, maybe look that up and hear from Dallas, kind of his story and how he came about creating this series. 
um, but it is the life of Jesus, but specifically um, fleshing out the, the, the characters and the people of the, of the disciples. And so, and he does a great job. It's a multi-series. And so they can take their time with developing the characters and really um, kind of trying to imagine and understand and see who, like, who was Mary? Who was Matthew? What could they have been like? And how did Jesus relate with them and, and choose them and call them out? And um, so the second season just started last week on Easter Sunday. And tonight, I think episode two of the second season is out. And um, right now they are last, in fact, the first episode of season two was all about, well, quite a bit about John and uh, the beginnings of him starting to write the epistle of the gospel and uh it's just beautiful it's really well done if you haven't seen it you can uh get it's it on called now the, the chosen chosen yes. not the cho- the frozen chosen or the chosen frozen uh, what, <laughs> the that's a joke uh, really <laughs> no you were talking about and i'll come back to this but you were talking about this oneness this harmony this mm-hmm. that exists in the godhead and that should exist among the people of God. And, and we're talking about even the people of Israel, uh, the, the 12 tribes, and yet there seem to be constant bickering, competition between them and so on. And even now as we come to this time of the of the, the age of the church or the Holy Spirit, where the people of God from every nation, every tribe, every language of the world, all around planet Earth, there are men and women who, who now... Uh, follow after the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the uh, the Messiah Jesus. Uh, uh, David's prayer seems to have been heard and answered in by the Messiah. That you know, let all the nations of the earth praise the Lord. Let His yeah. name be exalted among all the peoples. Uh, well, that that is happening today all around planet Earth, uh, and yet still there is this this fairly constant. Uh, pressure to divide and it's a very it's a very sensitive subject in the sense that we are individuals we are individual congregations and there are different nation groups there are different ethnic groups there are different languages there are different customs and we are still living in an age of the flesh the world and the devil i mean in terms of and mitigating the power of of those in Mm -hmm. sin and there is that commandment of be fruitful multiply fill the earth spread out so there's this kind of you know on one hand unity and and uh and and in christ and i think that that's probably the key is in christ yes yes. doesn't mean uh it doesn't mean robotic uh, sameness you Mm -hmm. know we can still be very different uh but uh but on the and then on the other on the other hand there is the wisdom that comes with um checks and balances to to use kind of on what uh, at what level do we Respect, admire, and accept diversity mm-hmm. of, of opinion, of thought, sure. of experience, right. uh, and value it mm-hmm. and, and see it as something positive and good, enriching. Uh, and what at what point does that become divisive and which is, accusatory? I mean, which is all about the old test. I mean, you see that over and again with the nation building of Israel. I mean, at what point do you marry intermarry with other cultures at what point do you you know and that yes that uh and they they don't really 
quite ever get that right. I mean, it is well, they well they do constant, and they don't. Right, Some do yeah. at different times and moments. The the truth shines very brightly that it is not ethnocentric. That it had nothing to do with 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 the, your ethnicity. That you were Moabite or Ammonite or this or that. But that it it was a oneness of the people of God. I mean, Ruth shows us that. You know, her very. Beautifully, exactly. the Moabitess who be, who became yeah. part of the uh, the ancestry of Jesus the Messiah himself. That beautiful story from the time of the judges. Mm-hmm. So, th- th- the truth is there to be found, but it's a it's a it's a it's a very how can I say it's a difficult truth. And I think for us as Americans, we are very unique among the nations of the world. Yeah. Uh, I I mean I'm not trying to be a blowhard here or anything or but I've I've had the privilege over 50 years on the mission field to be in a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. Uh Europe, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Russia, Eastern Kazakhstan, Europe. Mongolia, places Latin America and so on. And, and not everywhere yet. I, I still a lot of got a lot of places I got to go still, but the the point is is that the United States is so unique mm-hmm. in that most countries most nations are, to a fairly high extent, are, are ethnocentric. Mm-hmm. They are um, of one right now. Now, maybe not as much as maybe the whole world is changing in a sense. But this country in particular has red, yellow, black, and white, and polka dotted. We're all we're everything and everybody. We're all mixed up, and perhaps that's one of the uh, reasons why we. Through our history, the nation has struggled with this idea of people groups, and and there's something very natural and positive about people groups. I, I've told yeah. many people I'm uh, my ancestry. I'm Native American from the uh, uh, Mescalero Apache tribe in southern New Mexico. Uh, <clears throat> and celebrating, that, and, and I'm, yeah. I'm proud of that. Yeah. I celebrate it. It's a unique. It's it's an interesting background, and, and but still. I think everybody has a right to be proud and happy sure. and and celebrate at some level and, and uh, how God brought them into the world right. and what it, how He used it. So, uh, so there's something there's something good and natural about being proud of our ancestry and where we came from. And on the other hand, it there's a certain place where it becomes dangerous where we begin to. The the idea of racism is when when I begin to make my decisions about people, if when I begin to make my decisions about people based on their race and their ethnicity instead of the content of their character, uh, as Martin Luther King said, then then I'm delving into racism and Mm -hmm. their race. Racism exists. Oh, among beginning. every group, yeah, uh, yeah, red, yellow, black, and white. And we all it's a tendency of human a human tendency. Yeah. But the ones that should we should be able to shine the light of hope yeah. in it, 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 our believers because we're told clearly in the scriptures Jesus has knocked down those barriers. Right. We can we can know and be proud of our backgrounds and who we are, like, and I think but we don't have to let them become a barrier. Right. And I think the key there is, and you know how you're saying the balance and kind of the, I think it has to do with the order, the sequence of, so, and and it's the classic seek ye first the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. and all these things shall be added unto you. And it's the, so if we're trying to seek first all those things that are added, we're going to lose out on the kingdom of God and those things to be added. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We must put, 
first things first. We well, it's interesting. seek yeah. him first. And we'll get, that seemed to be like David did. Right. That's right. one of the characteristics of Maybe and of these 30 mighty men. Mm-hmm. Go through and you'll see how many of them were not Jewish, were not Hebrew, mm-hmm. uh, e- even Uriah the Hittite. Hittite. Uh, <laughs> there, That's right. A great number of them were converts uh-huh. to follow after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Uh, and, and, not- and so in other words, he's seeking the Lord. He's loving God. And in turn, he gets this diverse, beautiful kind of tapestry of people and of, but all who mm-hmm. also love and seek God. Uh, whereas if you, if you're just trying to get that diverse tapestry, but minus the common worship, you know, who we worship, then you lose out on, on both. Right. <laughs> <You don't. laughs> and I, and I, I think that's, that's probably at the, the heart and the core of yeah. it, but, and yeah. maybe that's why, and this back to we'll wrap up the second Samuel, mm-hmm. um, but what I do think it's just so fascinating because that relationship between kind of nation building is where the principles of who God is and how he created human it's where it plays out. You kind of, it's, it's sort of the, the polity, the politics is, it's kind of where you see uh, it working or not, you know, how it, God created us in a certain way and to love each other and to love him and to relate with one another in a certain way. And you get to really see how it's going by looking at, uh, the organization of a people, the politics of a people, the finances of a people, the economy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so David, I, I, I guess he, he took a census and that was, that was taboo. That was not, uh, and I, I always thought that such a fascinating, why was it so wrong to yeah. take a census? Especially but, when you read the text there, what, what verse is that? We just looked at it a while ago during the break. Second Samuel chapter, um, 24, uh, 24. And it that? looks like if you read the, the passage, it, of course, you, I guess you had to go back to the original, uh, languages and to see the, the you know, maybe the fine points of what it says, but it, it looks like God himself led David into a little bit of a, should I say it, a little bit of a trap, in that it may it looks like David did that ostensibly at least moved by the Lord Himself to it says once again the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and He caused David to harm Israel mm-hmm. by taking a census. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. Mm-hmm. And so David goes and tells Joab, remember that mean, <laughs> rough, tough uh, commander of uh, David's armies, Joab. He goes and tells Joab to take the census of all the tribes of Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. So I'm, I may know how many people there are. But even J- Mino Joab has the good sense to say, whoa, hang on there. <laughs> May the Lord your God let you see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my Lord, the king, do you want to do this? There seemed to be very clearly uh, a prohibition to the idea of taking his senses unless God is as in. Remember when they in the wilderness before they entered into the promised land, God instructed uh, Moses and the people to to census. Um so, but they did it, and then, and then, and then he gets punished for it, which is interesting because I don't know if I know you didn't do this when you were a kid because I'm your dad, but uh, I remember at the boys' home where I lived, where I grew up, 
every now and again would hear the story about somebody's going to get a spanking and the dorm parent says, okay, I'm going to have to give you a spanking. I want you to go in the backyard and I want you to uh, pick out a switch. <laughs> you you get to pick out the switch that I'm going to give you a spanking with. And I don't, I'd always go back and get this little twig, you know, <laughs> this little, <laughs> this little thing that couldn't hurt anybody. But, but in a way God does that to David, he, through the prophet, he says, you can choose three punishments. What I want out of the three. Uh-huh. Which one would you like? And, and it, it's very interesting. You can read that. It's found in chapter 24, uh-huh. uh, 23 and 24 of the book of Second Samuel. And um, oh, the, there's very interesting things. The, yeah. the, the, um, the threshing floor of uh, Arauna, the threshing, which became later the site of the temple. Uh, that David built in Jerusalem, and so uh, that's 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 how we'll end up the book uh, about Second Samuel. Let's go. Let's rush back now to the Gospel of John, yeah. Stace, and pick up um, some things there. It opens up, as you said, with John, uh, not with the physical birth of Jesus, but going back to the very beginning of creation, mm-hmm. uh, speaking of the the Word of God, the incarnate the Second person of the Godhead always existed, is eternal in nature. He participated in the creation of the world. Um, and so uh, so John starts there theologically. Mm-hmm. And then we're introduced into uh, we're introduced to this second cousin of John the Baptist uh, of Jesus named John the Baptist. Uh, a very interesting individual. We've we've talked about him from the other Gospels as well. Um I want to ask our listeners, if you'd like to give us a call, 210-340-9585. And the more difficult question we have out there for you tonight is to talk to us about how did Jesus of Nazareth come to believe, come to understand that he was the eternal son of God, God incarnate? Um, How did he come to know that? Now, one of the great, uh, I, have a, I have a wonderful Bible study group on on Friday mornings with a group of men from military backgrounds. And uh, the the uh, chaplain who leads that Bible study is a dear friend, a great brother in Christ. But he has a view of uh, this uh, that I don't share. He 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 has what is called the Superman view of Jesus. Okay. That Jesus uh, walked around in a... Clark Kent costume, <laughs> right. but he knew he was Superman okay. all along, all the time. And the idea is that Jesus, even as a baby, he, he you know, a month old baby or two month old baby, he was the incarnate, omniscient, omnipotent son of God, even then. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he knew in, in, all of that. In, real, in, in realization, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. In right. realization. And, and he, he only kind of, Pretended to be right. a baby. He would just cry every now and to throw Mary <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah, just to make, throw Mary <laughs> off. Yeah, and, you know, or, or whatever he would do. All right. But, but and, and a lot of people struggle with well, what was, what was it like to be Jesus? Is there any way, is there any way at all that I personally, Soapy Dollar, or you, Stacy, uh, any of us can identify? With Jesus was or was his experience so vastly, vastly, totally different from ours that we cannot really. It's kind of a funny thing, because on one hand, we want to be able to identify. On the other hand, he is the hope of I mean, 
he is without sin and without the sin nature. And right. I think I, in many ways, I hope, I, I hope we're nothing like one another. I hope, and I hope that me without that sin nature is, is, is something that is so wholly different than, you know, or maybe we're confusing it with the glorified body and with, um, well, maybe, uh, but the truth is a lot of people make a lot out of the word, um, um, Predestined, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, predestination is not used that often. And and uh, one of the most important times is that we are that it's used. I believe it's in Ephesians, but I'm not sure that we are predestined. And the predestination is not that we're predestined to be saved, mm -hmm. but but we are predestined as God's people, as the redeemed. Yes, sir. We are yes, sir. we are that is something that is taking place. We. As redeemed new creation, now part of the, the race of the redeemed, mm -hmm. we are being transformed and are destined to be like Christ himself, mm -hmm. like Jesus. So um, th that is, yeah, it, it gets a little inky, I understand, and you have to think long and hard, but uh, the point, I'd like to get some discussion about it for some of you who have given this thought. Uh, seriously, this this young boy, he's a he's a Jewish boy. He's he's born to Joseph, Mary. Uh, we understand. We understand the, the, the circumstances of his birth, uh, that he was um, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. We understand that our, ourselves, our background. But in terms of the uh, nine months of gestation and then his birth, he's just another little Jewish boy. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he wet his diapers. He. You know, burped and did things and ran and played and cried. I mean, he was a a, a little boy, mm -hmm. and and somewhere though in his life experience, he comes to understand who he is. Mm -hmm. That he is actually that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds like I'm talking about the Matrix, doesn't it? You know. You're the one. Mm -hmm. You are the Neo. But but he comes to understand that he is that one, that long-awaited, every Jewish little girl always hoped that she her child might be that redeemer. That, uh, And he, he comes to understand that. And I want to know, how did he come to understand it? And and what was the level of his understanding? How, On what basis did he believe that he was the Messiah? I guess I'll go to the, the phone line here real quick. We've already got a listener uh, calling in. Franklin is on the line with me here on the Bible Live broadcast. Thank you, Franklin, for calling in. And I'm hoping you have a maybe you have an idea or a thought for us about how did Jesus know who he was and when did he know it? Well, God bless you, Sophie and Stephanie, too. I, Thank you. I hope you are having a very blessed day. We are. We and, have. It's been uh, a good one. Well, you know, you threw the fish out there, and I, being the, the, the carp that I am, had to bite on the hook. All right. <laughs> all right. Now, first of all, Jesus knew that he was the Son of God because his mama told him. <laughs> and that's that number like one. My little, my little but grand, that was That's the answer he, my grand he boy. He grew up believing that, but, you know, uh -huh. it was mom that said it. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until he was baptized by John mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit descended upon him 
uh, in the form of a dove that came down. And God spoke, saying, this is my son, in whom whom I am well well pleased in. Yes. And then he went off into the desert. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 32. uh, Actually, seeing the Holy Spirit descend like a dove from heaven and resting upon Jesus, John says, I didn't know, I did not know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is the Messiah. Yep. And so when that, well, that was, was actually John's a sign, it was a sign to John. But when the Holy Spirit in, infilled Jesus uh-huh. at that moment, he had no more doubts. His mama had told him and his papa had told him. <laughs> and he went off to yeah. the desert to think about it. There he was tempted by Satan. Yes. And, and what did, he what was able te- to resist. And what were the temptations all about? Well, first of all, you're hungry. Turn this rock into bread. Yes. And and second of all, you know, uh, come up to this, the top of the temple and throw yourself off. And the e- angels will save you because it's written that... Uh, you won't bruise your feet against a stone. How many preachers? He, how many preachers do you know that gave in to the temptation of the spectacular? Oh, I'm going to do something spectacular. I'm going to speak real loud and be, you know. And I think way too many. That, yeah, they wanted Satan was telling Jesus, do something yeah. spectacular, jump off the temple, and he quoted he scripture: said, "Thou shalt not yeah. tempt the Lord your God." Yeah, and then he took him up to the high mountain. And said, all these kingdoms, I will make them yours. If you just bow down and worship me and God said, you shall only worship God the Father. And that confirmed it. That's three times. <laughs> and three times in the Bible is three times. That's very important. Yeah. Very good. Uh, very you, good. you see that happen again and again. But that's when he knew that he was the Son of God and he knew what his mission was when the Holy Spirit came upon him after his baptism. He knew all that. Why do you think he went in the desert? And why do you think before his crucifixion he went and prayed that that cup would pass for him? Because yeah. he had been told just exactly what was going to happen. And he really didn't want to be that lamb of sacrifice, but he submitted to God. And he gave his whole soul, his whole spirit, and all his strength to God. And he let God have his way with him in his life, just as an obedient son will do. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Paul says in Philippians That's chapter exactly two. right. That's exactly right. Because the son and the father, how many times when a baby is born, they say, oh, he looks just like his dad. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. He looked uh, like his father. But Jesus knew, Jesus knew uh, when the Holy Spirit filled him, he knew all of his past and he knew what his future was to be. I think he had a growing, I think he had a growing awareness of that. He, he knew his identity. But he can't. Uh, it, there, there is a very interesting verse in Luke where it talks about after the birth of Jesus and so on. But it ends up saying, 
uh, he, Jesus returned to, Jer to Nazareth with his parents. He was obedient to them and his mother stored all these things in her, in her heart. And it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. So if Jesus already knew all there was to know and he knew it, he wouldn't have grown. Right. Jesus was a man who had to walk out by faith, his, his calling and his role as the Messiah. And I believe there was a growing awareness of it, even to the point where in the end, he knew who he was. He knew what was going to happen to him. And he had, he had essentially walked into it on purpose, knowing that, that he was doing exactly what he was doing by that time. Beautiful, beautifully put, Franklin. Thank, Thank you for calling. Yeah, Thank you. We're going to have to take another break. We'll be back for our final segment just right around the corner. Don't go away. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is. All right, the next question on the Bible is that singing the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of Give us this day. It's almost unmistakable if you for sure. But anyway, we are back. We've got one more segment, just a few minutes here to talk about now the Book of John. Gospel of John. Let's just pour our hearts into that yeah. uh, opening chapters. We have Jesus. Uh, John presents Jesus as the eternal, uh, always existent son of the living God. Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as Franklin said, the glory as of His daddy, <laughs> His Father, mm -hmm. of the only begotten of the Father. Then we get into John the Baptist, uh, whom God had called. John the Baptist was predicted as well in the Old Testament to be the 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 prophet who would come, uh, like the prophet um, Elijah, right? In the in the in 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 the in the in the characteristic of Elijah, I believe it is, and um, he would identify, prepare the way. He would be the herald that would prepare the way for the Messiah. And John did that. An amazing individual, John the Baptist. He extremely popular in the nation. Mm -hmm. uh, he, the reason for John's popularity, Stacy, is that the the level of uh, the level of mm, what would I say uh, corruption, oh, yes. the level of corruption and fraud, you know, spiritual religious fraud yeah. in, in the land was terrible. Right. Uh, the Romans had taken to buying and selling the priesthood right. instead of it being Levites, uh, as was commanded in the Hebrew scripture, they would buy and sell. You could buy and be, become, a, you know, like yeah. today you can go online and buy your, uh, become a, uh, a, an ordained or, minister. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, send us $25 and we'll give you a, an ordination. And uh, so that was the idea that the corruption and the, and, and of course the Roman empire and the corruption among the Jewish leadership, religious leadership, right. politics was rampant. And that's and, why, and John was an Essene. So he was outside of, the, uh, but he was the a Levite. But he was, and he was a Levite, and he was, um, and but I, I think that was also largely yeah. the the appeal. He was, yeah, and he was courageous. A, a, I mean, he confronted uh -huh. uh, the the powers, the Roman powers, mm -hmm. and 
tetrarchs and so on. He, he lived with very, their adultery, with their immorality. And he lived very simply and mm-hmm. very out in the desert. And uh, greatly admired mm-hmm. by the faithful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 he did not exercise his ministry at the temple because the temple was full of corruption and, and fraudulent mm-hmm. uh, priests and so on. And and he that's why Jesus went to John the Baptist when it came time to get baptized, because he, remember he said John says I should you should I mean said uh, you should be baptizing me not the other way and he said no but for 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 that all things be done decently and in order you're this is right, right. because. To to launch his ministry, he is to go to the Levites. That's mm-hmm. the 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 model we have in the Hebrew Scriptures. And John was a Levite, baptizing in the wilderness. And but God had already told John the Baptist, confirmed him that when you see the the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descend in the, in the form of a dove, you'll know that that's the Messiah. That's, and so a lot of people don't realize that we we just read the event. We, but that was a sign, particularly to John the Baptist, to know. Who was isn't, indeed right. the Messiah? And isn't that such a, a a a difference between so for John the Baptist um, when he you know it was not about power or influence or no. I mean, John the Baptist truly loved the Lord and he <laughs> and had he, a, and yeah. that there's that classic I must decrease now yes so that you, you. increase and Odin, I mean that is not what we see of the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders oh there's yeah jealousy. nobody would turn nobody I mean he had, he had a yeah. huge ministry right thousands and, of people were coming out to say and, and, you know what that meant in terms of offerings right I mean you know money influence everything. John the Baptist did not he was he turned it all over to Jesus yes, he, he told it, even his own personal private Jesus disciples and Go yeah. follow him. Oh, that, mm-hmm. That's an astounding. Uh, uh, that would be a a hard thing to see yeah. in our world today. You know, right. when when let's say a Billy Graham or someone would say, uh, "Okay, now folks, follow him, that, that guy. That he's guy. he's the he's got it. He is." <laughs> no, no, and, well, um, well, John did that for sure. Well. Yeah, uh, and so we we see that happening um, in the life of Jesus. Now, what was the first miracle? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd like to tell us what was the first miracle that Jesus performed, uh, I, I tell you what, if you watch The Chosen, if you want to see a, an episode that will make you cry, and it's just really beautiful, not just because some modeling way, but right. watch the episode of the, his first miracle at Cana. It's episode four in the first season, and it's uh, I, won't, I guess I won't say the episode title because I'll yeah. kind of give it away a little bit. But um, it's very, very mm, it's good. It's very, very good about the role and relationship, uh, the role of Mary and the relationship she ha- had with her son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very, very insightful. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that makes that series so interesting is the way they develop uh, in a realistic and, and, and likely way, mm-hmm. in fact, the relationships between Jesus and the disciples and Nicodemus and, and so all of these people that he meets along the way. Which brings us to uh, John covers Nicodemus and Jesus. John chapter, the famous John chapter three, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is interesting for a different reason. Another characteristic of the gospel of John is that yeah. John tends to follow the geography yeah of the ministry of Jesus and not just the chronology. And so he tends to have uh, Jesus 
when he's in Jerusalem, Jesus when he's in Capernaum, Jesus when he's in Nazareth at the wedding, wedding at Cana. He he followed and, and with the Samaritan woman in, right. in the yeah. wilderness in yeah. Samaria. So John tends to follow that as well. But so which, which a religious I, yeah. leader, a Pharisee. Which I real quick, which I think what that does is instead of taking uh it it I think what it does is it highlights the relational aspect of Jesus. And mm-hmm. so by by emphasizing Jesus's locale and who he is interacting with in those locations, I think it, it does something really which is very typical of John. Um that it's it's about the relationship it's about the lo- yeah. love love he <laughs> after all john is the beloved w- was the james and john the, the sons of De- zebedee the sons of thunder as they were called uh, is, is thought to be john himself is the youngest it is thought of the 12 disciples which might be why jesus you were saying kind of gave him special deference just yeah he, was younger. he calls himself the one whom jesus loved right. and that kind of makes i bet jesus did pay a little partial partiality to him was a little protective of the youngest uh, mm-hmm. 12 to 14 years of age all of the disciples it is thought were under the age of 20 except peter Mm-hmm. Peter uh, was the only one. Remember when the Pharisees and the religious leaders criticized Jesus, none of your disciples pay the temple tax. And so Jesus solves the problem and he sends Peter out fishing and he comes back with a coin to pay the, mm-hmm. but for the two of them, mm-hmm. for Jesus and Peter. Uh, evidently, it is thought Jesus and P- Peter was the only one that was 20 years old or over. The others were teenagers, yeah. younger. And John being the the youngest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, we're not talking about John the Baptist here. We're talking about the Apostle John, who also wrote the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John at the end of the New Testament, and wrote the book of the Apocalypse, the Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible, of the New Testament as well. So... Uh, what are we here? We're talking about John and introducing him, uh, how he turned in uh, John the Baptist, told people to follow after Jesus. Then uh, let's see, uh, he must increase some of Let's talk about how many people did Jesus baptize? Maybe that'd be a good question to ask our listeners. Mm-hmm. How many people question. did Jesus, in fact, mm-hmm. baptize? Give us a call if you'd like, 210-340-9585, 340-9585. Then we come to this amazing story after the baptism of Jesus uh, in chapter um, 2. And then the chapter 3, uh, we have Jesus speaking with um Nicodemus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm in the wrong book. I mean, I somehow got over into Luke. <laughs> yes. So Jesus goes to Nicodemus. Uh, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. But at least from his name, it's likely he is not Hebrew, but he's Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he may have been one of those who, a religious, you know, bought his, you know, ordination. You know, might might have been, but he was evidently a wealthy man. Uh, and Jesus says, are you a leader of Israel and you don't understand that you have to be born again? <laughs> he uh, chides him a little bit on that basis. But uh, so we have this wonderful chapter three, which is all about, you know, if you ever watch a professional football and you see the end zone, it says somebody's holding a somebody with a clown hair red, yellow, black, and white hair is holding up a card that said John 3.16. Maybe you never knew what that meant. It's from the Gospel of John. 
chapter 3, God, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, mm-hmm. and that's that famous verse, the gospel. That's probably the most the verse, famous yeah. verse, right? That's right. The God Bible. so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only son. Right. Every, the fam- most well-known verse, perhaps, of the entire Bible, mm-hmm. except maybe the shortest verse in the Bible, is also found in the gospel of John. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That's it. John, I, I am so he. touched by that. I, that's oh. a, that little artistic, as you said, poetic yeah. idea of John. That Jesus wept. It's just such a powerful. Here he is the eternal Son of God incarnate in flesh, and he understands the pain of the loss of a loved one, a friend, and he weeps at the grave of Lazarus. We'll get to that next week. Uh, but okay, so we have then after that, uh, John, uh, his. His baptism, Jesus goes to the wilderness and he's tempted. I do want to talk about that just a bit. I don't want to get overly, you know, complicated and all that, but a lot of times we don't understand the bapti- the temptations of Jesus by the by Satan is just a, a theme that John is developing in in uh in John chapter 5, verse 19, John gives us a very clear understanding and other passages as well of listen to what Jesus says about himself. Uh, the Jewish leaders begin harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules, but Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So they tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, therefore making himself equal with God. And and so Jesus explains to them, listen, I tell you the truth. Now, when Jesus says, verily, verily, I say to you, I tell you, listen up, pay attention, because he's telling you something very important. Listen to what he says about himself. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. The father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Uh, And so on. So what we see clearly from that verse and uh, later on, what is it? Um, Chapter, what is it? Verse, I can do nothing on my own. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. Jesus, the the eternal Son of God, says this. It seems, I I remember the first time I ever read those verses, I thought, what do you mean? You're the Son of God. You can do anything you want. But Jesus says, I can do nothing of my own power, my own initiative, my own prerogative, my own authority as God. I can do nothing. I can only do what the Father shows me to do, what the Father leads me to do. And so very clearly there, he's twice there, and I think five times in the first six chapters of John, he voices, he he proclaims that same deep, deep truth, that he, he although he is God, he, he didn't come to prove he was God. He came to walk out the perfect life of faith and trust mm-hmm. and obedience and submission to God as a man. He came to do what Adam was unable to do, he to pass the test, to live in total, complete, consistent, constant submission and dependence upon the Father. Therefore Although he had the power him. to do things of his own initiative. Therefore but, making him a, a 
making him eligible to be our sacrifice. That's right. Okay. That's how he earned the right to be our substitution. uh, substitutionary atonement. That's how he earned the right to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin and of the world. that is why he came. He did, right. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, he didn't come to prove you, but he, he, had, a, he had a mission. Yes. <laughs> he was here and he... Oh. And he couldn't cheat. He couldn't take shortcuts. And he, he couldn't. Have, and he, he could have, but only, if he yeah. see, I think that's what the, the temptations were all about, Stace. Right. Is that Satan was trying to get Jesus, whom he knew was mm-hmm. the Son of God, mm-hmm. he was trying to get Jesus to do something of his own power, his own authority, his own initiative. As if you're the Son of God, mm-hmm. say to that stone, become to do something of his own authority, which he had every right to do. He created that stone. He could have turned it into a rabbit if he wanted to, or anything. But he was trying to get Jesus to do something of his own authority, his own initiative, his own prerogative, which would not have done anything to Jesus. It would not have affected, I mean, he's God, he's God, he cannot not be God. But it would have been eliminated from being our redeemer, our mediator, mm-hmm. our representative. Mm-hmm. And so Satan was trying to get and Look at all three of the, of the, uh, the temptations. One was the bread, the hunger and, and do, he had every right to change it. Then one was jump off the temple, off of the temple Mount, off the corner of the temple down into the, the court of the Gentiles. Uh, and, and God would do something spectacular. Satan, even as uh, uh, Franklin mentioned, Satan even quoted the scripture and said, you know, the God promises that the angels will not even let you stub your toe. You're, you're, so they'll come to, and they'll save you and people will see. And then people will know that you're, you don't have to go through this painful thing of walking by faith and going, being crucified. I mean, he's trying to do what he did to, uh, in a way to, uh, Adam and Eve. To yeah. Eve. <laughs> yeah. He in was, a way. You don't have to. Is that oh, really? You'll become really like God. Is that what God really said? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Get Jesus to do something. And, and then finally, the ultimate temptation, he took him to the top of a mountain and says, look, I give you all the kingdoms of the world. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, the Messiah had already been promised all the kingdoms. I will make the I will make the nations of the world your footstool. Mm-hmm. So that's already promised to the Messiah, but by being faithful and true and, and faithful to God. Mm-hmm. What Satan was doing was saying, look, you do this meaningless little thing, meaningless little thing. We're here by ourselves. Nobody's going to see it. It doesn't change anything. You st- All you got to do is just bow and, wor- and worship me, and I'll give you all of that. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'll give you a shortcut. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through all the shame and the, and the you know, and the frustration of trying to work with all these disciples. They're so slow to learn and all. You don't have to go through any of that. Just take this shortcut. See, I think that's what the now the, the 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 temptations could have been something more, and I wouldn't doubt that there, maybe there's something more. But essentially, I think that it was Satan trying to get the Redeemer, the Messiah, to eliminate himself by acting out on his own prerogative, his own initiative. And if if you look at Philippians chapter two, this is where Paul the, the apostle uh, lays out very clearly. That was what was Jesus never well, ceased think, being God. I think what you wonder, right? Mm-hmm. What you wonder is what was the motivating, what was the motivation there? And I think John probably kind of bring it is that it's the motivation as he's coming to realize all of this, as he's realizing I am God. He also would have simultaneously been realizing 
the role of uh-huh. what he was about to do and why why would he then be willing and wanting and it was love it was love yes. for for us, us. exactly love. that's what he said and you will read about it in John chapter 17 when we get there the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he includes us. Mm-hmm. He said, not only these ones right here, but those who will believe in me through their testimony. Mm-hmm. And that's you and me. Mm-hmm. And, and he says that they would be one, mm-hmm. even as you, Father, and I are one. Bring them as well into that oneness mm-hmm. with you, with me, and with each other. And it's a combination. It was, so, in other words, so why was it because he did not, he loved his father so much? He loved what they had so much and so deeply that he would never want to to go against him. You know, in other words, Adam and Eve, that was their, they, they were not, they took their eyes off of that relationship with the, with mm-hmm. their creator in the garden. They did not appreciate that evidently enough to, to abide by what he said to obey and uh, and so and yet Jesus now come to he he would never want to he loves that unity and that relationship so much that he would not want to disobey and he would not want to act outside of what the father's will was so that's on one hand and then uh knowing too then that 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 could be extended to us to us yeah. if, if, for Paul says for the joy that was set that before was, him yeah, yeah. And then Suzanne, uh, my wife is very always happy to remind us that we are that joy. joy. (laughs) We are the joy that was set before. Well, and so speaking, and and that kind of goes into so to back to John and how he is such an his emphasis is relationship and uh, and it's so fascinating that he's called the son of thunder and yet he's known for his book and and his emphasis of Jesus being love and. but and then that and then that great when Jesus begins his ministry, he begins it with the woman at the well, which gets us to the first of the I am's. Mm-hmm. So there are seven I am's in John, and this first one is one of my favorites, like the woman at the well. <laughs> I was thinking mm-hmm. the things, that, and uh, he begins his ministry. He kicks it off by telling a woman <laughs> who he is. And he can count on her to go and tell everybody else. And so up until this point, he's asked everybody, any miracles that have been done to keep it quiet. He's not, his time has not yet come, Uh, but he's ready and, and they're ready. The disciples are gathered and he tells this woman and she goes and and spreads the word and he begins his ministry. And 5,000 men come to faith. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a remarkable, remarkable. Well, folks, we're just, oh gosh, the the gospel of John is so beautiful and so powerful. Uh, Please read it through with us. Go to thebiblelive.com and uh, let's read through the gospel of John together this week. We'll pick up these final chapters all this week and then get back into the book of 2 Samuel. Take care. God bless. See you next week. Restore the Bible to our culture mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Quiz Show. Show.
visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 